stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I have Zach's Kevin Cook on board to discuss everything going on with the banks. Uh, there is a lot going on, so I had to turn to Mr. Cook to help us navigate what's going on, especially because I noticed that in one of his newsletters, the Taser newsletter here at Zach's, he bought the um, regional bank ETF on March 13th. That's the day after the weekend, after the feds had to step in and put a little bit of a backstop on some of the banks and he went in and bought that. So I want to know why, why were you buying it then? And we're getting a bit of a bounce in the banks here, but will it last? Should you invest in the banks like Kevin did? Should you stay away from those stocks? What What is going on out there? So Kevin, welcome. Hey, Tracy, good to be here. So let's talk about your taser buy. What made you decide on March 13th after, you know, the doom and gloom of over the weekend, you know, Twitter was very gloomy. I had to actually kind of stay off of Twitter because the sky was falling. Contingent was out in full force and understandably because Silicon Valley Bank had been taken over by regulators before the weekend, and then Signature Bank of New York was also closed by regulators over that time period. And so we had two of the biggest bank closures ever, other than Washington Mutual. These other two were the the second and the third largest. And so it did seem pretty gloomy, but then the Fed did, uh, you know, come up with the plan and they backstopped those deposits and said that all the deposits would be paid in full, basically insured them. And then the market felt a bit better on that Monday, but still we had a big sell-off in the rest of the banking stocks on, on that Monday on March 13th. And you stepped in to buy the KRE which is one of the regional bank ETFs. So what was your thinking? So I, I guess I've, you know, I've seen this movie before where there's just unbridled emotional panic in a very short amount of time. And yeah. you know, this uh, this ETF holds about 140 US regional banks. And so I'm pretty confident it's not going to zero. And so okay. when it when it was down uh, you know, four percent in one day, and then eight percent, and then fourteen percent on Monday. You know, as this fallout and this contagion and this panic continued, uh, to me, it, it's it's one of the favorite trades that I look for. Uh, okay. Now, when you when your favorite stock goes on sale, let's, let's say your your favorite stock has a bad earnings report or some revelation, and it's down. You know, 25%. Uh, you, you're emotionally, you might want to buy it, uh, yeah. but you still hesitate because you're you're not sure what's going on. With an ETF that holds 140 regional banks in the strongest banking system in the world, arguably, um, uh, you know, you you can have a certain level of confidence. Like it's never been down 14% in one day before after coming off 
you know, uh, 15% in the previous two days. So, um, yeah. and then we had the government come in and backstop, as you mentioned, you know, the Fed, yeah. the Treasury, Jay and Jan, they got together over the weekend and they brought they brought the nukes essentially to the rescue. Right. right. So, right. so you've got this diversified instrument that is, um, you know, I don't know if you could call it the backbone of the U.S. banking system because we'll have to let the big guys be the backbone. But, uh, but in a sense, the regional banks are like, you know, the the muscle and tissue of our financial system. You know, without the small, without the smaller banks, um, you know, you don't have as much liquidity and opportunity for small business. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, they did let up on the regulations with some of them in 2018, because they felt like uh, they were, you know, on the right track, but you didn't want to keep it too tight on their lending conditions because they are such a big driver, as you said, in their individual regions. And you need the capital to to have the growth in those regions. Um, I did want to say something about the KRE that you bought and that what makes it interesting as well is that Silicon Valley Bank, the ticker was SIVB, that was KRE's largest holding. And that went to zero, but the rest of the ETF just kind of kept trekking on. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the good thing about ETFs, right? And yes. that's why I feel like they are a good alternative in these kind of panicky situations. Um, because you are buying the basket of them. You don't have to guess like which bank might be hit next. No, because right. you're buying hundred and over 140 of them, you said. Yeah, so, people, people have to be careful in the pursuit of diversification that there's all different types of diversification, right? And so yeah. you know, we, we've learned the hard way that um, you know, a mutual fund that just hold that just has the same five top holdings as the big tech QQQ. You know, you're not really diversified, right? If it if if it's Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, right, Google, uh, that sort of thing. So that that's not really diversification. Um, and then an ETF that is concentrated in one sector or industry, well, you're not diversified across the whole economy. Um, you're right. because you're concentrating in a sector or industry. But if you are making a bet on the regional banks uh, being collectively down. Uh, 50%, then you're saying, okay, I'm going to buy this basket and I'm not, I'm not going to try and pick which individual uh, regional bank is going to make it. For instance, I was looking at uh, buying yeah. Charles Schwab last night, doing my homework there and thinking about buying Charles okay. Schwab. We could talk more about them later, but yeah. I still, I, it turns out, you know, the, the, the stocks were up this morning, so I didn't have the chance to buy the, the fire sale, but yeah, you've got that that diversification among all the regional banks because you're making a bet on the system working the way it's supposed to and overcoming this panic. Now, it was a little troubling this morning though, or, or yesterday morning, like we get this backstop from the Fed and the Treasury over the weekend and they surprise us and take out a signature bank too. Um, yeah. But First Republic, the, the California bank that you know tends to cater to higher net worth, uh, FRC is the symbol. Um, they go by sometimes called FRB, First Republic Bank, but FRC is the symbol. Um, that stock plummeted 65% on the yeah. open on Monday morning. I mean, 
that was terrifying if you were involved because it was like another forced run on the bank, right? It's yeah. like these, like the old run on the bank was 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 where everybody stood out out in line, you know, give us our money, give us our money. <laughs> but right. nowadays, it's it can be done electronically, and you've got uh, big names on Twitter like uh, Peter Thiel and Bill Ackman, you know, sort of yelling fire in a crowded theater, accelerating yeah. the uh, the the panic and the you know the the sharks on Wall Streets, you know, they could smell the blood in the water. And so they went for First Republic. And, and so it was nice to see that First Republic bounced back today a little bit. Um, I saw it yeah. was, so it was down 62% yesterday. Last time I looked um, after a big bounce, it it was up 35% today. Now, a lot of these are heavily shorted now. So uh, it's going to be super volatile in a lot of these stacks. But what what do you make of some of these others that I'm I'm just kind of surprised, but maybe I shouldn't be. I mean, the whole the whole industry got hit. It didn't matter if your bank was in, you know, Chicago or Houston or wherever. Everybody just sold all the banks. So that was a given. But um, some of these, you know, everybody's looking at the West Coast banks for the most part, and those have taken the huge hit. And I saw today on March 14th that Citadel took a 5% stake in Western Alliance. That one is ticker WAL. It is on the list that they're always showing on uh, CNBC and the other business networks of one that you know was down heavily. It's up on March 14th by 22% in the rebound here. But um, what do you think about some of these bigger investors coming in now, like you did yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, like I told you, I was looking at Schwab last night, and and then it was up this morning. And and one of the reasons in the column here is that uh, Ron Barron uh, of uh, Barron Asset Management, uh, he was on CBC saying he he bought Schwab yesterday. So um, okay. that's a confidence buy from a large, successful billionaire investor who's who's done very well in a lot of things. So yeah, you no, know, that's encouraging. So basically. He he was more courageous than I was because he could say, you know, this is a quality company that you know is is really beaten down, and I've I've spent but, a little bit yeah. of the, the the afternoon here looking at uh, Schwab's last corporate presentation in late January. They did their winter update, okay. and it's a 150 slide deck because I'm trying to figure out. Okay, Schwab is unique. Schwab is not your is not your average regional bank. They are first. No. They were first of all a brokerage. You know, right? And you know they have, uh, and and they have ETFs. Um, they've got institutional money, high net worth. Um, they acquire TD Ameritrade. What shocked me is I didn't realize how big Schwab was. They have seven trillion in total client assets, which is about as much as J.P. Morgan and Bank of Bank of America have combined. So, wow. and so I wanted to. I was looking through this presentation because I want to find out. Okay. What percentage of their total assets is uh, bank deposits? And um, you know, sort of trying to uncover that. You know, I'm not a bank analyst. The, you know, what we really need right now is obviously we need everybody to slow down uh, and hopefully you know don't let the short sellers win. But um, investors like us, we need to learn about 
how the banks got caught on the wrong side of you know accumulating treasuries and agency mortgage backed securities you know at under 2% yields and then putting them in the hold the maturity bucket while rates rose the fastest they ever have you know in four decades practically you know from 0 to 4% and what kind of stress that put on them. I mean, basically it, it it ripped their face off in terms of having any capability of net interest margin or the ability to keep deposits. In 22, Schwab saw their bank deposits go from about 440 billion to 367 billion, about a 77 billion outflow. And they call it cash sorting when investors are just seeking higher yield because rates have risen. So right. that's the dynamic that the, the analysts need to be really, they need to go into each balance sheet of each of these banks, whether it's Western or First Republic or whatever, and explain to us, okay, what is their leverage situation? And how, how underwater are they? And uh, the, if their net interest margin is below the T-bill the rate, how long is it gonna be that way? Right. But um, even just reading some of the analysts who have looked at this going back months ago, like there was a Wall Street Journal uh, reporter who looked into all of this in November of 2022. And even he had a nice chart in there talking about which banks had the most exposure and all of that. But it, I mean, his his basic conclusion at the end was it doesn't matter because they don't have to market to market the losses unless there's the bank run and right. you know he wasn't assuming that there would be a bank run but that was when rates were much lower and he wasn't uh putting into play that all of us um you know are sitting there with 0% on our savings account if we even have a savings account <laughs> some people don't but if you do you're sitting there with zero and I, I did think that this was interesting. I saw a tweet on this from one of the uh, like finance guys talking about how the consumer didn't really notice when the rates, you know, that you could get on like a CD or something went to two percent. They didn't really care when they went to three. At four percent, some people started like noticing, especially like retirees, uh, baby boomers, silent generation who were looking they that. They want the yield. They started seeing 4%. They started getting these offers from their bank for CDs for 4% or a, a, a brokerage like Fidelity started paying 4% and words started spreading. Like, you know, I, I'm assuming in the villages, for instance, in Florida, like suddenly everybody's like, you know, texting each other in the villages, like, hey, you could get 4% <laughs> at Fidelity, right? I, yeah. I'm assuming that is what happened because yeah, I heard all they about call it. it uh, that's why they call it cash sorting. That's their terminology yeah. or because it happens right. gradually. It's sort of like the right. the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water. Oh Correct. my gosh, I just noticed that uh, you know money market rates yeah. are four or five percent. <laughs> right, and you hear from your friend um, that it you know you can get this at this other place. So then you decide I'm going to move my money. That is what ended happening. All of them, you know, all of us started moving our money all around, and for whatever reason, a few of these select banks didn't assume or understand that that would be the human behavior, that we would try to get it. And they're still paying the super low amount on their savings accounts. So there's no reason for you to stay there. 
And now with, you know, it used to be harder to change your account. You would have to like go into the bank branch and like, you know, close it and then go to the other one, open it or whatever. So you might not have done it at, or at least not as quick, but now everything is electronic. You can probably just basically do it all online. So it's easy to move it somewhere and they are, they, you know, I'm sure Schwab saw some people like, Hey, I'm getting out of Schwab. I'm going to go over to Fidelity to get that 4%. Why wouldn't you? But now I I saw um, Mike Wilson, the Morgan Stanley analyst, what I saw on your Twitter feed that, um, you know, he's saying the banks are going to have lower earnings now going forward, at least some of them, because they're going to have to match in in order to keep my money now. They've got to give me the 4%. They can't just keep me at point, you know, zero three or whatever it is. Yeah, and, savings. And, yeah, and this is where their business gets more difficult because they're losing yeah. deposits and they can't afford to pay, you know, the, those higher those market rates because they're right. getting killed on they basically instead of a net interest margin, they have a negative interest margin. Right. Um, In some cases, yeah. This is really where you have to know, like you were saying, you have to really know what your bank is doing. Like, where are they invested? Are they in those longer term maturities or did they do the short term? Like I've seen some bank CEOs, they've gone on CNBC to talk about their business because they know people are nervous about every bank. So they're out there talking about what they're in. And several of them are saying they're not even in the long term. They're in the short, wow, so that's, that's what you want. Yeah, that's good news. Um, yeah, yeah, because like you said, uh, you saw the journal article from November where, where the analysis was, "Hey, we're not in trouble because we're going to hold these to maturity, so we're not really marked right. to market on them. We, they're they're unrealized losses, and they don't count against us. That right. well, that's only if they put them in the column called hold to maturity or HTM." Yeah. And then the other yeah. column is AFS available for sale, where they will get dinged. But but if they need the liquidity, then you know they they have to sell. And they have assets. to sell them, <laughs> right? And that's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. Suddenly, everybody went in there, and forty two billion was yanked out in one day. They did not have the you know the cash sitting there. They had to sell some of these longer term investments to get it, but they have to sell it at a loss at that point. So. Then it just spirals down. They can't handle the run. And then more people run in and then it gets worse. So, yeah, it was um, not good, (laughs) suffice it to say. And I mean, as painful as this is for, you know, like I'm not worried about the taxpayer footing the bill here because, you know, FDIC had some money saved. It obviously, reeks of moral hazard again for the Fed and the Treasury to do this. The people I'm yeah. most worried about are the small um, startups that, right. you know, they're they're not West Coast elites. And uh, like uh, we read about that, uh, that woman, that mother of four in Ohio, a, a founder with 15 employees with some new software for for families who work from home. And she tried to move her money out of SVB on Thursday, and she missed the window by 20 minutes. Um, so she was devastated yeah. over the weekend about whether she would be able to pay her 15 employees. Right. So right. Um, it's those kind of stories, you know, 
about, about the people who get hurt. So the the only small upside I want to say here is that um, hopefully this makes more investors more educated about banks and the banking system, you know, and understand fractional reserve lending and understand what banks have to do with their balance sheets. You know, obviously they would love to, um, uh, you know, borrow short and lend long and and gain a nice net interest margin, but they we had a we had an unprecedented event where we were just getting ready to come out of QE and then shut down. And they flood the economy with money and kept rates at zero. And all like for for SFB, their assets tripled from 2019 to, to uh, through 2021. And what what were they going to do with that money? They couldn't invest it fast enough, so they just bought treasuries and uh, MBS at you know one and a half percent. Yeah, it was uh, some of these banks had the benefit of all the IPOs and the SPAC money all just like flowing in there with whatever else was going on in the economy. But won't it have the reverse now? What we have, we're going to see real tightening, at least in Silicon Valley. We were already seeing it anyways with the tech layoffs and, you know, them them easing on their growth trajectories. But now you're really going to see it because this bank had been around for 40 years and it lends out to a lot of small startups that now, now where are they going to go? There will be replacements, but it's going to take a while and everybody's going to be real cautious and then even with Signature Bank, I didn't realize this until I got an article from The Hollywood Reporter about how Signature Bank lends to Broadway. So it's like a similar thing to the creatives. And they they do have a backup bank um, in, I think it was City National, which is a subsidiary of the Royal Bank of Canada, they said. And it's used, City National is used a lot in Hollywood as well. So they could go to the backup. So maybe we won't see as big an impact on, you know, the, the Hollywood and those creatives. But you've got to think that there's going to be even more of a tightening on it, though, even still, even yeah, though and, City National, you, you know, it, they're just you mean in the sense of of how loose these are with their money, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, you know, maybe that maybe that needs to happen. I don't know. Is is it going to kill technology innovation? No, but it's going to hurt no. a lot of small startups that were, you know, two or three person shops that that got their first two or three million that were trying to get you know go to their next round and. Um, right. You know, so it's it's just going to make it harder. It's going to make people more accountable. Um, one of the uh, you know, people should follow both of us on Twitter. Uh, you're at Tracy Reinick. I'm at Kevin B. Cook. Yep. But one of the best Twitter finds, you know, as as we share news and like Twitter is great because I, I call it communities of knowledge where you have you have people who are relative experts sharing research and resources and getting vetted by their peers. You know, so it's, you know, it's not fake news. It's like, okay, here's this research. What do you think? And then we all talk about it. And one of the best accounts was Raging Capital Ventures at Raging Ventures, who did the analysis of Silicon Valley Bank in January. Like, this is a big heads up. Right. You know, so here's somebody yeah. who did their homework. So, you know, people should find that tweet. It's it's pinned at, at the top of his, uh, his, uh, his Twitter feed uh, at Raging Ventures. 
And it's just, you know, I don't know if it's 10 or 15 tweets in a thread, but it, you know, it helps you understand the mechanics of these balance sheets. And obviously, um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, we can say that that was the Wild West, you know, and venture capital and they played fast and loose and yada, yada. But, you know, to a lesser degree, the same themes exist for a lot of small banks who got caught, you know, buying long dated stuff at low rates and now having to pay up for deposits or or just lose the deposits. I do think there's a difference, though, between these bigger regionals that, you know, over 10 billion and some of the smaller regionals or your community banks. The community banks themselves are still really, really regulated by the Fed and the just they're super regulated. I feel like there was this uh, kind of missing part in the middle where they did loosen the regulations on them in 2018. But the the guys on either side, the big guys, the two big defails like the JP Morgans were not loosened and the community banks were not loosened. So most of the issues with this, this uh, issue is in those bigger regionals and and that's it. Yeah, well, since you, you just brought up the big R word, I was making a list of, of our topics for the uh, today and I was at, uh, like all those words had, were started with R, like regionals, runs as in bank runs, um, uh, rates as in interest rates, and then regulation is the big one that you just yeah. brought up. Um, obviously, the powers that be, you know, there's going to be a whole big argument in Washington about, well, we need more regulations again for the banks. And yeah. is that going to hurt or help, do you think? Do you think we're going to get some some positive moves here? Uh, or will it um, just, I, I don't know, will it hamstring uh, lending? I think it'll be positive because the underlying issue was really their investments. It wasn't in the actual lending standards. And that's mm -hmm. a difference too. That's the big difference but with 2008. In right. 2008 was the actual underlying assets were blowing up, not where they were putting the money. So um, yeah, I feel like they're, they're all doing pretty well on that side of things on underwriting. But I do think everybody is kind of obsessing and rightly so with what's happening right now with these scenarios, but a bigger issue may await us a year from now, two years from now, I don't know how long in the underlying assets and maybe presumably with real estate assets and on the commercial side. So, you know, there is gonna be ramifications for the Fed raising as quickly and as high as they are on the lending side, on the asset side. And we all know with commercial real estate, you know, a lot of the big cities are still struggling. It's, you know, only 50% of the employees are back into the downtown areas of most of the major big cities. And the office buildings just aren't, you know, being occupied. A lot of the um, tenants can go in and negotiate whatever they want, the lower rates now. That's all going to start to hit the. Um, oh, yeah. Know, the that's, uh, that, that hasn't come home to roost yet, except no. we just saw in the past couple of weeks, it's, it hasn't made like major headlines, but you, you'd catch it on Bloomberg or something where um, a major um, you know, equity fund 
all of a sudden missed an interest payment, you know, on the on right. the six office buildings they own in San Francisco right. or wherever. Uh, right. We're going to probably see more of that because those vacancies. I mean, it if if they were expecting people to come back to the office, it hasn't happened, right? Right. So who's holding all that paper? What's going to happen when that comes home to roost? That comes down to the underwriting. But already we're starting to see, you know, we've, we've started to see some foreclosures on like hotels and various things, which is you might be surprised to hear that it's on hotels. But, um, you know, they got hammered very harshly at the you know first year or two of the pandemic in the big cities. And some of them just could not really recover, even though travel has picked up again. So we're starting to see that. But you know, who's going to take the hit on all of that? What banks were lending and that what REITs hold the paper that that's something that people are really going to have to watch when they are looking at a bank as well. I think like there are certain banks that are more heavily invested in certain markets and certain areas on the commercial side or even apartments. You know, there was a lot of apartment buildings being built in the last three years did we build too much in certain cities? Could that, could some of them get into trouble? We don't know, but I do think some of this is going to come down the pike on yeah. the real estate side. And so, so I guess coming back to kind of how we started this, you bought the KRE because you felt like that was, you know, there was panic. It was good time to, j- to jump in there. Um, but now, you know, we're, we're seeing a rebound. Should anyone even be trying to get into any of the individual stocks? I know, like I mentioned, Citadel got in there. These are the big professionals. You said Ron Barron got into Schwab. You were looking into Schwab, but now you're on the sidelines still waiting. I own a couple of uh, the regional banks in my value investor portfolio. We didn't do anything. They weren't the ones that are getting the most hit, but they did get hit. But should we even be in them? Should I be selling the even the ones that you know aren't at the epicenter, just out of, to take to take the risk completely off the table? What should investors be doing? So, I, I think if you want to play in the space and you don't know enough about any individual regional bank, then yeah. then the KRE is the way to go. Okay. Then my next choice. That makes sense. My next choice would still be Schwab. Just because, okay. you know, Schwab it, Schwab has a has a, you know, they're building an ecosystem and a and a forward looking strategy to be not only to to collect assets and gain new clients from younger generations, but to serve the wealthy. And um, they're doing this direct indexing, which um, is they project to grow quite a bit. So Schwab has a long term growth plan that I really like. And um, it's uh, it's currently a Zach's number five rank, just because you know estimates came down for a lot of these these right. places. But um, that would be my second choice. And you know, you were talking about um, you know looking ahead in the next year or two here, what's going to happen as more stones get unturned and um, you know either rates stabilize or whatever. Schwab has a yeah. great chart in their in their investor deck here that um, where they plot their net interest margin against where they think fed funds is going to be so and and they okay. go out to, they go out to 2025 and right now 
you know, we've got, uh, you know, four and a half percent Fed funds and Schwab's net interest margin is two and a quarter percent. Okay. So, um, and they project that by 2025, they could, their net interest margin could be back to 3%, but they also project that Fed funds could still be uh, above three and a half percent. So, okay. you know, this wow. is the, this is the kind of modeling and projections that these banks have to do, especially when they've got yeah. large balance sheets with lots of different assets, you know, with different maturities and, um, yeah. you know, either government or agency. One funny story I want to tell you is that I, I read, I went back and I found an old research report about Silicon Valley Bank. It was from okay. November. And it was by a big name bank analyst. I won't say who it was, but um, he was he was said, okay, here's what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank. And um, you know, yeah, they've had a tough time and you know, um valuations are down for all these, you know, private startups. Um, you, you know, I did that podcast a couple of weeks ago with the the fintech guy, uh, Steve McLaughlin of, of Financial Technology Partners, and we talked about when these private companies have to do a down round. And a down round is essentially you're, you're, you're underwater on your peak valuation and you have to raise money at a lower valuation now. Well, this analyst thought that that would be a good situation coming up for Silicon Valley Bank because all these startups were gonna start running out of cash. They were burning through their cash and they were gonna have to do new down rounds in 2023 and that would bring deposits back for Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> well, wow. that, that bit of hope didn't happen. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I do want to kind of finish up by reminding people that the U.S. banks have FDIC deposit insurance, and it's up to $250,000. So if you have money in that bank under $250,000, you are insured. That's the whole point of the FDIC. And now the Fed program has lifted that higher for the banks that they just had to uh, close. So they those people are also going to get um, you know fully insured on what they have. But also something to keep in mind that brokerages also have insurance. It's called SIPC for the brokerages. And that actually covers a higher level. It covers $500,000 in securities in a single account and up to $250,000 in uninvested cash that might be in that account. So I am kind of surprised, Kevin. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the FDIC as far as I can recall, it's always been $250,000. I mean, I'm I'm thinking back yeah. to even when I opened up my first like little savings account thing back in the 70s or the 80s. I want to say it was still 250,000. Like back well, then, I, I just thought I, it was 100,000, but I could be wrong. Oh, maybe, maybe. So they have raised it, but I am kind of surprised given that SIPC is at basically 750,000 if you have cash in that account that okay. The FDIC is still only 250, but I think that's something that Congress will probably be addressing as we go forward. That maybe you know the 250 is just a little bit too low now, but we'll see. Right. Yeah. So if you win that lottery, you know, and you're going to be over the 250, (laughs) 
then you might want to think about like what some some people do. They do open more than one bank account. They have several yeah. banks and they they put the money into several different locations. And then that eases some of the risk too that we saw with Silicon Valley Bank that the depositors were heavily concentrated in that bank. Like they they didn't have it. Um, you know, as as much moved in numerous different locations, although some companies did like Roku and others did have in multiple banks, but um, still, yeah. Yeah, but look how, how look how hard it was for Roku to diversify. You know, they, they, they're right. Barely 500 million was 25% in one bank. Yeah. You know, and th so this just illustrates the, um, you know, what a pain in the butt it would be to win the lottery because you know, you have to spend <laughs> all your time opening new bank accounts to distribute it. <laughs> right, figuring it out. Right. I guess that saves me all that time and effort. Yes. Since I've never won the lottery. Um, okay, so let's go over a few of the tickers we talked about. There was Schwab ticker SCHW. We talked about First Republic. That's the other big San Francisco bank that has seen its stock get hit very hard. F as in Frank, R, C is the ticker for that one. Then we talked about Western Alliance briefly. That's where Citadel took a 5% stake. They're actually in Phoenix. Ticker W-A-L is the ticker. And we also talked about the regional bank ETF that Kevin bought on March 13th. That basic one is just the K-R as in Robert, E as in Edward, K-R-E. And there's a couple others you could get into on the on the banks. There's one that's KWBR that holds uh, kind of smaller banks. The average market cap in that one is 4.7 billion. And then there's one that's, that's, that's the an ETF. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then there's one that's an IAT. It is that one holds the bigger caps, and it's only 38 holdings in that one. And that one's been hit really hard in this sell-off. It's down, it was down 29% at its worst point. And that one is IAT, as I said. So, but the most common one is the one that Kevin bought, the KRE. It has over 140 holdings. Um, and that is, you know, the most diverse of them, I believe. So, so yeah, you want to be sure to subscribe because I had no idea just a week ago we would be doing a podcast on the banks <laughs> and all of this would be happening in such a short period of time. So you never know what we're going to cover on the Market Edge. But you can get us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.